0: Listen to this podcast all the way to the end, and you'll have a long shot chance to win a Bitcoin, which, as I record this, is worth more than 30000 U.S. dollars. Hey, it's Seth, and this is Akimbo. We'll be back in a second to talk about a couple of the problems with money. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Get better clients. There, in three words, is the strategy of any freelancer who wants to do better work. Get better clients. You can't work more hours, but you can work for people who appreciate the work you want to do. They will push you harder. You will do better work. They will talk about you. You will get paid more. You will be more proud of what you produce. How to get better clients. I've been thinking about this for a long time, and we have built a workshop just for you. If you work for yourself, I really think you need to check it out. It's not a bunch of videos, it's a workshop. You will work with other freelancers, working your way forward to figure out how to do this work that matters. I hope you'll take a minute to check it out. Visit akimbo.com slash go for all the upcoming workshops. Go make a ruckus. The pursuit of money, it seems, might be the root of all evil, but money is so convenient because with money, we can put a price on it. With money, we can boil it down to numbers, and we can use those numbers to motivate people, to value people, to get people to do what we want, to reward people. But there are some problems with numbers. More than a decade ago, two economists who studied behavior, decided to do an experiment in Haifa, and the experiment was this. If you are working at a daycare center, you have a real problem, and your problem is that when the day is over, four o'clock, let's say, if a parent doesn't come to pick up their kid, you really can't leave. You've got to stay with the kid until the parent finally shows up. Well, as reported on Freakonomics, This problem can really wear out a teacher because they're not getting paid very much and they're sitting there hoping to go home to their family and they're stranded. And most of the time, most parents pick their kids up on time, even though there's no penalty associated with it because the next day the penalty is real. You have to look that teacher in the eye day after day and say, please take care of my kid again. I know I've voided a social contract. So what these researchers did was they put in place a fine system at some of the daycare centers. If you were late to pick up your kid, you had to pay a non-trivial fine. Well, you're probably guessing, because I'm telling you this story, what happened. It turned out that the number of parents who were late doubled. It didn't go down, it doubled. And the reason it doubled is simple because now it's a transaction, even Stephen, You have no relationship at stake, we told you what the price is for being late, it's worth it, I'll be late. This decision is based on one person's understanding of money, and the biggest problem we have when we resort to money as a substitute for social status, for affiliation, for community, for the social contract, is different people value money in different ways. Some people think sure thing money is way more valuable than a chance to win a Bitcoin. That in Ohio, to get people to do the right thing and get vaccinated, they started a vaccine lottery. To enter the lottery, you simply need to be vaccinated. Here's your chance to win a million dollars. And thousands and thousands of people got vaccinated as a result. What if they had just divided it out? and realize that on average, this sweepstakes, this lottery over time would end up costing them, say, $50 a person. Why not just say, come get vaccinated and we'll give you $50? Because there's a difference. There's a difference between the dream of a million dollars and the certainty of, eh, 50 bucks, I'll hesitate. And that's part of our narrative around money. Why is it that so many people apply to nursing school instead of learning what they need to learn to go work on Wall Street? Because the person who only cares about money says, if you work on Wall Street, you'll make a whole bunch more money. Is a doctor more valuable than somebody who ends up putting in the systems that enable the hospital to work in the first place? Because the thing is, without that janitor, you'd get sepsis. You'd be in the hospital for months with a painful infection. Why do we pay the doctor so much more than the janitor? Because most people, I'm guessing, would rather have doctor work than janitor work. So what's going on here? It comes down to this idea that we all have our own stories about money. And one of the challenges we're having as we start to bring in things like Bitcoin and smart contracts is we are boiling more and more things down to cash money. So here's a simple thought experiment that one could imagine with smart contracts. A smart contract is just what it sounds like. It's in the cloud. Data goes in, data goes out. But if you hook a smart contract up to Bitcoin, you could do things like this. If, according to this website, it rains on October 5th, then you get all the money that's in this account. If it doesn't rain, I get all the money that's in this account. Once it's set up, it can't be changed. The smart contract is simply going to adjudicate what happens and nobody can say, nope, I wanna do over. Smart contracts enable certain kinds of financial transactions to go much more smoothly than the old way with escrow accounts and lawyers and everything else. So imagine a smart contract That looks like this. We want HR1 to pass. It's a bill in front right now in front of the House and Senate of the United States. And we have identified a dozen people who might get in the way of it passing. So the community, tens of thousands of us are all going to contribute a Bitcoin here, a Bitcoin here, some ETH, and it's going to end up that there's going to be $20 million dollars in this smart contract account. And it will automatically send a million or more dollars to each one of these 12 people if it passes. We don't have to ask their permission. It's simply in space. Suddenly, democracy is held hostage. It's not held hostage by ransomware where hackers are taking over hospital systems and demanding money to give them back. It's taken over by the citizenry Who are basically saying, we're going to bribe you to do what needs to be done, and we're going to do it in a way that no one can stop us from doing it because it's essentially anonymous and the smart contract is there for all to see. So, back to this idea of what's going on in Haifa. When you can pay your way out of a problem, when you can pay to buy something, people treat it differently than the idea of nationalism, or patriotism, or doing the right thing, or being part of a circle. And what we are in danger of doing, because we are in such a rush to scale everything, is to put a price on everything. But people who wanna put a price on everything end up valuing nothing. Because it's in community that we find what drives us. It's in community, this idea of unstated obligations, and opportunities that we figure out what makes us human. Small aside, it's very interesting to watch the reaction that people have when folks try to train a dog using positive reinforcement. So the way it works is you get a super high value treat. That's what they're called. You take something, I don't know, horrible like liver, and divide it into tiny, tiny, tiny little pieces, and they make pouches you can buy to hold your tiny little pieces of high-value treats. And then, every single time the dog does something that you want the dog to do again, you give it a tiny treat. They take an action, boom, they get a hit of endorphins over and over and over again. And using this method, and then perhaps a clicker, you can train dogs to do extraordinary things, to run obstacle courses, to learn... 30, 40, 50 different phrases to become insanely, quote, obedient, unquote. And people look at this and they say, well, you're just bribing the dog. Well, it's fascinating because any way that you train a dog, you're bribing the dog. The problem that people have isn't the bribery, isn't the operant conditioning that's going on. I think the problem we have is it's just so obvious It's so obvious why the dog is doing it. They're not doing it because they're your friend and you ask them nicely. They're doing it because there's something in it for the dog. And when we boil it down to a smart contract, it just feels like it's not the same sort of connection. The other challenge that we have, which I alluded to earlier, is in addition to making transactions distant, the same way we have no relationship with our bank because they're just in it for the money, We have the problem that different people tell themselves different stories about money. If you were a billionaire, would you go to work tomorrow? Why is it that billionaires even look at the Forbes 400 list of billionaires? Why do they get happy if they move up and sad if they move down? What exactly are they keeping score of? And yes, I promised you a chance to win a Bitcoin, so here we go. If your social security number is 078051120, just visit Akimbo.link and let me know. And I will happily, upon proof that that's your social security number, send you a Bitcoin. Now, of course, I'm cheating because that number 078051120 belongs to Hilda Witcher. Hilda, unfortunately, held that social security number in the 40s when a company that was making wallets wanted to explain to people at Woolworths that you could actually keep your social security card in your wallet. And this company, which was right down the street from me in Tonawanda, New York when I was growing up, this company decided that the only way to inform people of this was to make a fake social security card and they made up a number and it was Hilda's. And at one point, more than 5,000 people were using Hilda's social security number in various transactions. The purpose of this thought experiment is this. Is a podcast you listen to because you're gonna win a prize at the end better than one you listen to just because you want to listen to it. And also, when you found out that not only didn't you win, but that you couldn't have won because I cheated, were you annoyed? Well, the odds of you winning in the first place were so low, they were essentially zero. So how did finding out that you weren't actually going to win the money when you weren't actually going to win the money anyway change the way you felt. We went back and forth with this a lot when I started Yo-Yo Dine. Yo-Yo Dine ran the first sweepstakes and promotions and contests on the internet at scale. We were the first people to give away a million dollars to somebody on the internet. We had clients like American Express and Carter Wallace and Procter and & Gamble. And the deal was simple. Play these games, pay attention to these ads, and you might win a prize. I remember giving someone Babe Ruth's autographed baseball, and World Cup tickets, and it was really fun to build that organization. Part of the pushback we got from advertisers was, we don't want to advertise to people who are paying attention because they might win something. We want to advertise to people who really and truly want to hear from us. And that led to my concept of permission marketing, but the irony, of course, is that most advertisers are busy running ads in front of people who have to see the ad before they decide if they wanna see the ad or not. And so there's a paradox, and most humans deal with the paradox by choosing not to pay attention, because it's a lousy deal. And so when we think about the attention economy, two words that are interesting to juxtapose, because attention, we're not making any more of it, everyone gets the same amount every day, and economy, which plugs into scarcity, which reinforces the idea that attention doesn't scale. In the attention economy, how on earth are we earning people's attention? Well, one way to do it is to use Hilda's social security number and offer them the thrill, the emotional pleasure of thinking they might win something. Because the fact is, for most of the time, when people are playing the lottery, they feel good, not bad. They feel good thinking about buying a lottery ticket. They feel good buying a lottery ticket. They feel good in the days leading up to the reveal about whether they won or not. And then they only feel bad for a little while when they find out they lost. So sooner or later, once we have a roof over our heads and something to eat, access to health care and some basic needs met, sooner or later, money is just a story. It's a story we tell ourselves to change the way we and others behave. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Oh, one more thing. I feel badly about my stunt and tricking you. So here's an actual possible social security number. And if it's yours, and you can show that you've been a subscriber to Akimbo before this episode came out, just let me know and the Bitcoin is yours. The number, five two three, oh six, five nine. 59 Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. We'll be back in a second with a couple of questions from previous episodes. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. When is it time to level up? When is it time to learn a new way to see the world, to connect with others, to lead, to engage in possibility? Akimbo is a B Corp, an independently owned and operated institution designed around learning, not education, not certificates, not grades, but learning together. It works if you do the work. I hope you'll check out what the people at Akimbo are up to. Visit akimbo.com go to find out about their new upcoming workshops and how it all works. Thanks. As you know, I love to hear from you. If you've got a question about this or any previous episode, I hope you'll visit akimbo.link, that's a k i m b o.link and click the appropriate button. Two questions this week. Here we go. Hey, Seth, I was listening to a recent podcast about creativity, another one about artificial intelligence. I just wanted to know your thoughts about um, artificial intelligence and art. I'm a wedding photographer, Um, And there's a trend at the moment for um, outsourcing work
1: to artificial intelligence to edit photographs. And I'm thinking that this is
0: a, um, a bit of a slippery slope, to be honest. And it's kind of going back to looking for the easy option and becoming a commodity. What are your thoughts on artificial intelligence and creativity? Thanks a lot. Thank you for this. Here's an example of artificial intelligence applied to photography. A few decades ago, they built into cameras something that would focus them automatically when you were ready to take a picture. And around the same time, they put something in cameras that would automatically change the aperture, letting in just the right amount of light when you were taking a picture. And so the question is, did the artificial intelligence of autofocus and auto exposure, did it make it more or less likely that professional photographers could make a living. And I think you don't have to be an economist to understand that the number of professional photographers went up, not down, because having tools that worked more reliably and effectively actually opened the door for more creativity. And photography, in particular, over the last 20 years, has seen an enormous increase in that technology. Now everybody, as a camera, what it means is that you don't get to make a living as a photographer because you're the only one who knows how to use a camera or because you're the only one who has a camera. That's not good enough. That if someone's going to even bother hiring a wedding photographer, it's going to be because they do something that someone can't do with an Android or an iPhone. Someday, for sure, it will simply become a commodity. That cameras will be so smart that human beings won't be able to add much in the way of value. But there are two things about artificial intelligence and machine learning. The first one is we define it as everything a computer can't do yet, or everything a camera can't do yet. And second, that it's really good at doing things from the past better. That training a computer to get smart at what happened yesterday, we're getting better and better at that. But training a computer to come up with something that hasn't been done before, that's still really hard. So if you're someone who embraces creativity, I think you ought to be in favor of artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence gets rid of all the jobs you don't even want to do. And it opens the door for things that make us nervous, for things that we can't even imagine yet.
1: Hi, Seth. It's Carrie Newhoff from Oro Medanti, North of Toronto. And I really appreciated your latest episode on expect delays. <laughs> I have seen and share your frustration with the way things seem to be breaking down. And my question is, I wonder what kind of an opportunity this opens up for those of us who make things to make promises we keep, to go the extra mile, to be more personal in our service rather than cutting back to maybe move forward in advance. And obviously, profitability is important. Otherwise, you're not in business. But I would love your thoughts on how to see what's happening in our culture right now as an opportunity rather than to simply join the pack and uh, yeah, let the people that we're trying to serve down. Thanks, Seth. Appreciate all you do.
0: Thank you for this one, and I hope the winter is comfortable for you up there. I miss Aurelia. I think when we think about the supply chain, what we're going to see is this. The excuse of, well, it's cheap, doesn't really work very well if you have to wait two weeks or four weeks or six weeks for your delivery. For a little while, we had both. For a little while, we had you can get it overnight and you can get it cheap. But for a while to come, you can't have both that some organizations, some businesses will charge appropriately for things that are available date certain. If you want a custom wedding cake delivered to your door on the day of your wedding, it shouldn't be the same price as getting a bunch of stuff from the grocery store. And if it's not there, go to a different grocery store, because that bakery has put itself out on a limb. If you're going to take a plane from one place to another and you want service that isn't gonna be interrupted or canceled with a good excuse or a bad excuse, you're gonna pay extra. And so the market's gonna split. There's gonna be people who say, well, we've got it if we've got it, and if we don't have it, you can get it from somewhere else, and hey, it's cheap. Or there are gonna be people who say, well, if you want it on date certain, you're gonna pay for it. The exception might be things like this podcast, delivered to you week after week, year after year, for free and on time. But that's mostly the exchange of digital information. For everything else where the supply chain is involved, I think we're going to get what we pay for and pay for what we get. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
1: I just don't think it's possible or probable in in today's world to distinguish yourself as an educational institution or as a success seeker at the level of, of information gathering or information distribution. I mean, this is the information age and you can get a great book, a great essay, a great idea anywhere, you know? And none of us can do that better than the internet, right? Um, there is no great thought leader who can outthink the internet. Like we have data. What All MBA Gets Right is it puts you in a context where you're part of a community that says, yeah, 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 that's good. You got access to ideas. You got access to information. That's awesome. but. When are you going to show up? When are you going to face that blank page? When are you going to face the possibilities within you? When are you going to face those fears? I'm not going to let you hide. You got to show up. And that's the hardest part. And it sounds simple. It sounds very commonsensical. But it's the number one reason why we don't write that book. It's the number one reason why we don't ask that question. It's not because we don't know or we don't have the information. We don't have an environment and we don't have a support network that makes it feel like showing up is possible for me. Not just possible for the success stories I see out there, but I can
0: show up. Consider the Alt-MBA. More than 3,000 alumni in 74 countries around the world. Find out more at altmba.com.